0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: You're listening to a special presentation of Knowledge at Wharton, celebrating Wharton's reunion weekend. Here again is Dan Loney. Welcome back to our reunion radio special here on Sirius XM 111. And we have seen the market soar in the last uh, couple of years with gains of 20 to 30%. That means that the investment uh, sector is in generally pretty good uh, condition right now. There have been questions about whether or not we would see a pullback sometime in the next several months. There are still all kinds of investments seemingly to have value to them right now. David Burkhardt is a 1998 Wharton grad, as we mentioned. He's also founder and chief investment officer for Coloma Capital Futures, LLC. And he joins us here in the studio. Nice meeting you. Welcome back to campus. Thank you very much, Dan. It's been great to be back. So as I mentioned before, when you were graduating here, this was, well, did you see the groundbreaking or? I think there was a
0: pit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the pit, it's not Pittsburgh, but, it, uh, you know, it's a different city, but uh, it's nice to see here.
1: So what what has your Wharton experience meant to you both as a, as a, as a student, but also post-grad in your professional career?
0: Well, for me, it was really, like most people who come to Wharton, is to transition. I was in finance, but in a relatively junior role, and this allowed me to break into those roles that I really wanted to have. And uh, I feel very fortunate that I was able to go back to the city where I came from, which is San Francisco, and uh, as well as contribute to there. So I've obviously been to the Wharton building out there in San Francisco, the Wharton yeah. program. Yeah. As well as was an alumni interviewer, I uh, helped uh, with the uh, committee here in terms of arranging things. But I think it's just a, it's a great way to be someplace, come to a new place, just be immersed in that experience, and then take that back to the place that you came from and then just take that to the next level. So tell us about your company. Tell us about Coloma. So Coloma Capital Futures is a small firm. We do only manage futures, which basically means we go long and short. We do two strategies. Commodities is the main one that yeah. has a nine-year Track record so a long time. These gray hairs, which you can't see, you know, <laughs> they all are from work, I assure you. Right. Uh, but, uh, but it's a one way that people, when they think of small companies or entrepreneurship, they don't often think of the investment business. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I felt was important to highlight in coming on the radio here. And what we do, folks, is, is on what's going on in the markets from a fundamental perspective. And then we try to either apply statistics to that or just apply our human knowledge. So we do that on the commodity side as well as on volatility or VIX futures as has been the news relatively recently. Yeah. And so we basically look to be long and short, be very hedged, uh, take only the type of risks that we want. And I think that's the main thing about investing generally is just know what you're investing in. Make sure that, yes, I want that risk. If you don't want it, look for a product or act in a way that says okay I'm going to get that out of my life.
1: So then how do you react to the 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 investment culture we've seen in the last 2 years where seemingly at, at least when you're looking at the markets I mean it's what 20 25 30% on the Dow that's gone up and seemingly we've seen other elements gold has pretty much stayed in in the same ballpark over that period of time. How do you look at this
0: investment segment in general? Well, for my mind, it's driven by interest rates primarily. In other words, cheap money yeah. ended up basically in very limited sectors. And in this case, it ended up through the banks to investments, whether those investments were in private equity or through the private sector. Yeah. Certainly in the Bay Area, we've certainly seen our share of very large private companies. Sure. And also in the public markets, the stock market, the bond market, and also the real estate market, too. And so you know when you think about okay well if we're going to come up with some jitters in the market cuz interest rates are moving up now you know what's going to happen to these markets just on their own even if earnings stay great you know set that aside if yeah. money costs more and that's what's fueled this rise should we think about what else should we should be doing with our with our money basically and so that's
1: where the the idea of investment in other things like commodities really comes into play
0: exactly so for example, you know our correlations with the market are zero to negative thirty percent, and yet, depending on how the accounts are structured, you can do as well as the stock market has performed historically after fee yeah. So it's really the type of thing where, you know, you look for where is that place in the portfolio. So you don't look at what we do on its own. You look at what we do in conjunction with the other things in your portfolio. Right. Um, I think one of the big issues in the investment management, is, you know, industry is fees. Of course. Sure. Yeah. You know, you want to get you if you pay a lot of money for something, you want to get something back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so to me, that's the other aspect is saying, okay, are we getting value for money? Obviously, that's the trend of indexing. I used to work for Barclays Global Investors before it was sold to BlackRock. That was indexing, yeah. basically, right? And so I think, um, you know, when we think about how the markets are transitioning, part of it is how do we get more and how do we save more and therefore have better value in our lives going forward? Because right. we never know what's going to happen.
1: Right. Uh, We're joined by David Burkhardt, who's the founder and uh, chief investment officer at Coloma Capital Futures. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School, our reunion radio special uh, on this uh, uh, graduation and alumni weekend here on the University of Pennsylvania campus. Uh, Being in the San Francisco area, obviously that's really the heart of the tech run that Mm. that we've been seeing over the last uh, decade or two. investing is seeing tech playing a role as well robo advising other elements is into it as well what do you see as the benefits of tech playing a bigger and bigger role in investment in general
0: well i think there's a lot of aspects some of them you might think are pretty boring you know it's operational like if i place a trade yeah. how quickly is that executed yeah. right yeah. Uh, but that's very important for transparency for fairness, are you getting a fair price? Right. Even if I'm on San Francisco and not in New York or Chicago, where our futures are primarily traded, yeah. I want to make sure I get a fair price for my clients. Right. So that's one, if you will, simple aspect or right. basic aspect. Another, of course, is on the client side. Can they see their accounts? Can they monitor them? Is there transparency on the client side as well? Uh, another that, of course, that is very timely these days is machine learning, AI. So most machine learning AI programs have a very very difficult time with the markets. Right. That's because statistically they don't act normal. And I mean that in a statistical fashion. Sure. They do not act normal also. Right. Right. Exactly. In a way, yes. But, <laughs> and I think that's part of the challenge because machine learning statistics, which is a fancy, basically fancy statistics and categorization and regressions, yeah. is basically they're looking for those statistical relations. Biology that's easy. You put in sugar, a cell reacts a certain way, right? If yeah. you break down fats, that happens a certain way. That's not true in the world of investing. The way that I sometimes say it is: there's 10 things that affect the stock market, but only two of those things are actually active on any one day. Yeah. So you have to figure out sort of what is driving that market on that particular day. So we do have some uh, you know, statistical processes as part of what we do, yeah. and we're in the process of applying a machine learning Algorithm to one of our programs in parallel with what we're doing as sort of let's call it human programming. Yeah, but I think that's you know one of the basic ways where even a small firm can capitalize on these big tools, and with the right knowledge and experience, you know drive something that's of value for their investors.
1: You mentioned the, the Chicago being the heart of, of, of futures. For those people that don't follow it, uh, futures is is a unique bailiwick for a lot of investment people. In terms of your firm, how grand is the scale of, of futures that you are involved in? We were talking briefly before you came on the air. Just a few of the areas that uh, that you're looking at uh, in terms of futures.
0: Right. So, for example, on our commodity strategy, obviously we trade in the energy markets, which are the biggest you know commodity markets yeah. in the world. But we also trade in coffee, sugar, cocoa. Uh, you know, cocoa, for example, sixty percent of all cocoa comes from two small countries in West Africa. So yeah. Ivory Coast, 40%, another 20% from Ghana. Ghana chocolate is excellent, by yeah. the way. I would recommend it to anyone. Uh, and coffee. Coffee is also one of those commodities that, you know, is more broadly grown. but uh, And, you know, there's certainly a certain lot of issues about fair trade and, you know, where it comes from, how yeah. it's sourced. Those issues are true with cocoa as well. So you also have a good example of some of those political issues affecting what happens in these markets. Yeah. Climate, weather is very important. We follow the weather very closely. Obviously, what happens in the Midwest is very important for the row crops, corn, wheat, soy. So I think that's one of the balances that you have to think about is say, okay, is it something fundamental, like weather, that's moving these markets? Or is it something political, such as what's happening with Iran, what's happening in oil generally, the Middle East, or the shale revolution here in the U.S.? So I think there's, you know, all these aspects make it, A, a challenge to invest in, but also make it fun. (laughs) And, you know, that's part of what having the Wharton and that kind of background coming from says, okay, here's a lot of different disciplines, pull them together and see what seems to be the most important in any one particular time
1: well let's focus on oil for a second because obviously it's kind of it's one of the big stories right now yes uh we've you know after a long period of time uh west texas crude is over 70 dollars a barrel it's been quite a long period of time people are wondering how high that can go and then here comes iran with what's going on there right now as a factor and What's interesting about that is some people have come out and said, well, this is a very concerning element. We could see prices go significantly higher. I've heard other people say, well, you know what? It's not potentially as big as a lot of people think. Where do you sit on that?
0: I would suggest that it's going to be on the potentially not as big as people might think. Right. And I say that mainly from a U.S. perspective. And I say that mainly also because we produce so much of our own oil. Sure. Yeah. And I don't mean we as the United States. I also mean Canada, Mexico, the U.S., if you will, conglomerates, if yeah. you will, the Gulf of Mexico, you know, which is shared by two countries, right? Uh, Mexico has been much more aggressive about letting foreigners come in and help develop its industry um venezuela i would say is the big risk for the western hemisphere yeah so the unrest that's happening there the steady declines that have happened in their oil production due to the lack of investment there and the treatment of foreign companies um there's a lot of things that can drive that price of oil and um you know what's happening in venezuela is very interesting because we have china involved china has lent what 80 billion to venezuela yeah Will will they get paid you know that's a basic question yeah venezuela is Basically, four, three of its four refineries basically need to be upgraded so they can produce gasoline. So five-cent gasoline may not be available, per se, in Venezuela as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of for give and take that the U.S. can play a positive role in Yeah. You know, from a geopolitical perspective. Well,
1: and that may, may be one of the biggest things because politically what has been going on in Venezuela over the last – Year or two, obviously you've got concerns of the people themselves, Absolutely. but also uh, of the of the oil and, and uh, oil industry in Venezuela, which for many years was such a massive producer, and obviously is, has lost a little bit uh, of its stature
0: uh, in the in the global uh, global perspective right now. That's right, and the alternatives to oil too. I mean, oil by itself is basically useless. You have to refine it, right? So, you know, if Venezuela can't produce the oil that it needs to generate the earnings it can use for the benefit of its people, you know, it's in a it's in a tough spot. Um, And actually, it also hurts in some ways. U.S. refineries, U.S. refineries, particularly in the Gulf Coast, were originally tuned to use a blend of the heavy crude oil that comes from that part of the world and the lighter blends that come from this part of the world. So if the heavier blends aren't available, you're not necessarily getting the same refined products on the yep. other end. So there's a little bit in the weeds, of course, but it also shows what we have to look at when we think about these markets. Well,
1: I think the question a lot of people are asking also is that because of the fact that the U.S. is becoming a bigger and bigger producer, or North yes. America becoming a bigger and bigger producer, where are we headed with that and what impact will that have on the global site of oil when you think about what OPEC has done in the last year or two with the cutbacks that they have talked about the, and the relationship that they now have seemingly with
0: Russia in the, in the oil industry as well. Right. Well, I think the main... There's sort of two sides, obviously, to every story. There's a supply side, which we've been talking a yeah, lot about, yeah. and the U.S. is truly on track to deliver 12 million barrels per day of oil, which, of course, is an amazing amount of oil. I mean, yeah. that's it's more than half of what we need, and that's why I say when we throw in Mexico and Canada, together, all of North America is relatively self sufficient. Uh, th- there's going to be always the physical aspects. We do export oil. Those exports yeah. have been increasing as well. We're basically on track to do about 2 million barrels per day equivalent of exports of oil. And we've actually just shipped and it has arrived the first shipment to China. So, China, we're going to thinking about the demand side, China, India, those countries really are those growth countries really are demanding a lot of oil. So yeah. we see the expansion of the oil pipelines from yeah. Russia. Obviously the pipeline the ships from Iran, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, UAE, and so on from the Middle East. You know, so it's trying to figure out that balance. And you know, and then that goes into the general macroeconomic state of things. As long as growth in China is six percent, six and a half percent or more then we're gonna start seeing still that very high demand. Right. They also have a strategic petroleum reserve like we have here in the United States. Yeah. They wanna fill that too. So there's a lot of factors.
1: But it's also gonna mean that the pipeline issue here in the United States is gonna become a bigger and bigger topic in, yeah. in the years to come.
0: Right, and actually Canada is the hub of that. So they have a lot of oil up there that yeah. they can't necessarily ship out except through the United States. Yeah. Because they have a pipeline they've been trying to get built out through their West Coast, which has been blocked for a number of different reasons. Over by a, like
1: Vancouver and that area.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And there's actually been a lot of um, conflict within Canada very recently in the last couple of months over what's going to happen with a, a pipeline that would go that direction. Yeah. So in some ways you could say Canada would be very interested to export directly. They would certainly capture a lot more value from their oil rather than having to transship it through the United States. Yeah. So there's, that's all part of the balance in what we're all trying to – Figure out here.
1: So then what do you expect to, to occur? And uh, and I will shift it to NAFTA for a second. Sure. W- what do you expect to occur with these negotiations that have been going on now for a while? And there, a few days ago we heard about, uh, there. you know, we could hear an announcement of something coming up in the future. I think everybody realizes that something will get done. Oh, yeah. It's just what will get done and what has changed off of what we've known as NAFTA
0: for the last 25 years. Right. Well, I think one of the things to keep in mind is that there were trade agreements before NAFTA. Yeah. So, and that's true with Europe as well, right? So, just because NAFTA goes away, let's just assume it does. You know, "quote unquote" worst case scenario. Yeah. You know, there's still trade treaties. There's still commerce is going to happen. Yeah. So, to my mind, there's obviously a lot of sounded in fury, but to quote Shakespeare, I don't know exactly. Nothing. uh, Yes. We'll see exactly what happens, Um, and. You know, I think there's been a lot of negotiations that have been happening recently. Obviously, Asia has been the center point of a lot of negotiations with the United States. Yeah, i i don't think that any I don't think it's all interrelated per se. Right. But there is going to be knock on effects, right? So successful negotiations, say in North Korea, is going to have a knock on effect to what happens to say in China, or perhaps something that happens in the EU will perhaps knock on to NAFTA. So uh, there might be some cross. Uh, Pollination yeah. or infection, the contagion, to yeah. use a word, that we haven't heard in a long while. Um, but I would say that um, I would be less caught up on the minutiae of what's going on with the uh, those negotiations. So how
1: much does the commodities
0: market come into play into some of these negotiations? Some of them, obviously, is very important because Canada is a huge producer. Mexico produces everything yeah. from metals to grains to livestock. Yeah. It's very, very important between the three countries commodities are. Uh, But China also has used soybeans as a a club in the current negotiations. Right? Um, They're using pork now, uh, as you know. They're slowing shipments. The old uh, there's no extra cost. There's no tariff. But we're just going to take a little extra time inspecting. These uh, freezer containers. When
1: it comes at a time where they need more pork than ever,
0: exactly, and
1: and it's a staple for them.
0: It's a staple, uh, and how do they grow their own hogs? Well, they need soybeans, yeah, right. So they can get some. They can get a lot, quite frankly, from Brazil, Argentina. Argentina didn't have a good crop this year in corn and soy. Uh, This year for the U.S., um, you know, we expect things to do pretty well. um, Perhaps not as well as last year. The weather will have a big impact, but corn's going in the ground right now. So, <laughs> you know, and the American Canadian farmer can plant basically the whole crop in a week. So, you know, talk about technology affecting yeah. the business, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think that's, that's, again, one of the knock-on effects that we don't always think about. Obviously, that's why where someone like me would come in to say, hey, you know, let me follow that for you so yeah. you don't have to. Well, it is amazing when you think about the technology and just specifically about farming.
1: Mm-hmm. For a second exactly I uh, saw a video earlier today of you know of uh, of a of a, a grain hauler coming through a field and, and how that the technology has kind of impacted that part of it, which obviously plays a downstream effect
0: to the benefits the profits, and to the to the trade markets exactly exactly, and you know we have to deliver grain all the time yeah. right yeah. and so you know there 's always storage costs associated with that because there 's only a certain growing season yeah. right yeah. so you know that's part of the management as well and when you think about the big you know why are there the big firms of say Cargill, you know Conagra you know all these big firms ADM and so on you know, their you know their linkages, their tie-ups, their global presence is extremely important for the US and the countries that they serve yeah. so you know there's a lot of knock-on effects not just in you know the trading the markets and you know oh it's up today, oh it's down today yeah but it's also important like okay, can I eat today? Yeah. And that's really what I find interesting about commodities. It's yeah. hard, it's physical, it's right there. Well, Enjoy your chocolate. Oh, you know, I was going to say, and I'm a, <laughs> and I'm a chocoholic. So, but these are all things that you can
1: physically touch, and they connect with most consumers in general, which I think is a, is, a, is a huge part to this. So, Exactly. David, thank you very much for coming in. Enjoy your time here on campus. It's been wonderful.
0: I appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.
1: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio
0: Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.